0: See it, find it, auto trader.
1: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
2: Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was we'll it.
1: But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze Americano!
2: Huh? Oh! Gene! Run!
1: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's me, Josh.
0: And get this, our newest upcoming live shows are being announced right now by me. On May 4th, we're going to be at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. And on May 5th, we'll be in Boston at the Chevalier Theater. Very fancy. And on May 6th, in a total surprise twist, We're gonna be at Massey Hall in our beloved Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Planet Earth. You can get tickets right now. From Tuesday, March 14th until Thursday, March 16th, we have a presale going. Just use the password SYSKLIVE and then we have general on sale tickets starting on Friday, March 17th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to Ticketmaster for your DC tickets, go to the Chevalier Theatre website for Boston, and then go to Ticketmaster.ca for the Massey Hall Show in Toronto. We'll see you guys May 4th, 5th, and 6th, and I can't tell you how excited we are.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and Chuck's here, too. It's just the two of us flying solo up in the friendly skies. Uh, yeah, and that makes this stuff you should know. <laughs>
3: That's right. Uh, I've had the—do you ever make up dumb songs in your head?
0: Um, no, actually, I don't. I have other people's songs in my head a lot, but I don't make up my own, typically.
3: Mm, I make up dumb songs in my head all the time. Like what? Oh— well, I mean, in this case, it's about Amaro, but uh, it can be anything. Just um, something will happen, or there will be a brand or something in the house. And I'll sometimes it uh, sounds like something else in a song. And so I'll mm-hmm. just kind of do like a Weird Al version of that.
0: So make it up. Are they like ballads? Like is, in your Amaro song, is Amaro falling in love and then jilted and then you know, no, dies? No, 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 no. This is a riff. I'll go ahead and sing
3: it uh, if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, this one was because uh, Dave Ruse helped us with this one. And when Dave sent this in, he said, you know, Dave's uh, not much of a drinker. Right. So he said, but he tried Amaro for this, and he said it tasted like Robitussin.
0: I did not see that. He tried it. He tried drinking for this. That's amazing. Way
3: to go, Dave. (laughs) I think he wanted to see what it was like, you know, so he had a little sip and said it, you know, had that. And, of course, Amaro is known for its sort of medicinal taste. Mm -hmm. And so I've been singing. Here's a good example. And it's so dumb. Uh, When the bitter hits your tongue, like a robot, a son, that's Amaro. That was great. (laughs) So I do things like that all the time around the house, and my uh, Emily and Ruby both think I'm just sort of strange.
0: I think it's very pleasant, and I wish you'd sing around me more. <laughs> you want to move in? You and Yumi
3: can move in, and you'd be like, "This guy's got to quit singing." <laughs>
0: yeah, we quickly <laughs> move back out.
3: Uh, I'm having amaro right now, actually.
0: Oh yeah, I don't have any amaro, and I would like some. I don't. I haven't decided which kind yet. I'm just gonna start with one. But it's been yeah. a while for me. I just uh, I thought you know
3: I poured up a little. Jeez, what is the the big side of a jigger? Is that an ounce or a half ounce?
0: I mean, it depends. You can get two ounce and one ounce, three quarter ounce and half ounce. It's it just oh, depends.
3: This looks like about a half ounce. I mean, it's just a couple of sips.
0: Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's that's nothing. Yeah. What
3: kind? Uh, this is Meletti and I'll get to how I acquired this at some point in the podcast.
0: Okay. Well, for those of you who are like, what the heck is Amaro? Well, prepare to learn, because we're going to teach you what Amaro is. And to put it in very basic terms, it is a bitter, sweet, or some people would just say just bitter, liqueur, mm-hmm. uh, which means a liqueur is any kind of alcohol that is sweetened with sugar. And so Amaro is a specific kind of liqueur, a bitter liqueur.
3: That's right. Uh, and it is a digestif. Mm-hmm. It is largely Italian, although there are plenty of countries who make um, their Amaros. And I never really thought of Jägermeister as an Amaro, but apparently it's it's considered a German Amaro.
0: Yeah, an herbal Amaro.
3: Yeah, uh, but it's generally Italian. The history is Italian, and there are, if you go to the Amaro section, you're going to see a lot of Italian words.
0: Yeah, and you're going to be busting out your Italian accent quite a bit in this episode, I think. <laughs> Here and there. I don't want to overdo it. So, Amaro's been around. It's been a big hit in Italy and Europe, France, um, since the 19th century, at least, possibly back into the 18th century in some places. But in America, it wasn't until like the cocktail renaissance of the tens, I guess. Yeah. That Amaro really kind of found its place. And I mean, it's been here for a while. Campari is a type of Amaro called the bitter red. Um, and it's, I mean, everybody knows what Campari is. And Maybe slightly fewer people know what Aperol is, but both of those are technically amaro. But mm-hmm. when you get into the world of amaro, you realize like, oh, there's like a whole galaxy yeah. out there. But the one thing that they have in common is they're they're they have an alcohol base, a lot of bitter, uh, bittering agents, and then all sorts of other botanical ingredients. And each one is proprietary. Each one is typically a secret, and each one is its own blend. Like there's very few, if any, people making. The same kind of amaro. Like I think every single kind of amaro, even ones in the same group, are are just different. They're not the same thing.
3: Yeah, and there are hundreds of amari, and amari is the plural. Uh, you wouldn't say different amaros. Uh, if you want to get it right, you say amari, and there are hundreds of amari all over Italy. And like you said, they they're all proprietary, uh, proprietarily blended. Mm-hmm. And what you'll usually see, because you know, they still want to sell their stuff and market some of the tastes. Yeah. So if you look up how they taste, they'll usually include, like, a handful of the botanicals and then say, and, you know, and the rest are, you know, only for us to know, that kind of thing.
0: Right. We'd have to kill you. Right. We can <laughs> yeah. tell you, but just prepare to die. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if it's right, but sure. <laughs> um, so uh, to make a maro is actually very easy. Um, you just take, like, a base alcohol um, usually between 14 and I've seen as much as like 40, 45% um, yeah. proof or 45 proof, I should say. No, percent. That's right. Yeah. Proof is double the percentage, right? 80
3: to 90 proof.
0: Okay. Um, and then you just soak some some bittering agents and herbs, whatever your proprietary blend is. You let it soak for a little while. Sometimes you might redistill it with the with the herbs and botanicals in it. But a lot of people just let it sit for a while. Um, And then uh, I think that's called macerating or infusing when you just basically say, here, um, gentian, meat, moonshine, essentially. And then you add a little sugar after you filter out the solids, and then you let it age for for several years, many years, however many years you want to wait. And then you've got yourself a bitter liqueur known as Amaro.
3: Yeah, and that base alcohol can vary. Um, A lot of times it will be grappa. Uh, which is great brandy, but not always. I see Dave put most, but I don't even know if I would say most, or would you say most?
0: I I couldn't see. I I have the impression that most Italian um, Amaro is, or Amari is grappa, yes. or Or wine.
3: Well, but what they don't do is, like, that kind of stuff isn't on the label because it doesn't really matter. Like, it matters, but when you get something like this, the bottle won't say, you know, with a base alcohol of, like, plain spirits, or right. with grappa, or with white wine, or whatever. Or white lightning. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the bitter is really sort of what it's all about. Italians are uh, big on bitter. Um, they, you know, espresso is very bitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, radicchio, uh arugula, They're, they've always sort of been on the leading edge of bitter things.
0: Yeah, I saw Chuck, uh, an Italian saying, I couldn't find the Italian, but it translates to, because of bitter, we know sweet. Oh really? Yeah, they like their bitter. They appreciate it for sure. And then it says, "Give us a kiss." <laughs> right. Does uh, did
3: you already say that Amaro meant bitter in Italian? I don't
0: think we did actually.
3: Yeah, so there's the giveaway right there. Right. Um, and bitter is something I'm not sure if we even if I was even on to bitter when we talked about the tongue episode. I don't think I was because my bitter appreciation has really come on strong. Uh-huh. In the last like two or three years, yeah, uh, I don't know why I always hated bitter things age, I would say maybe because I have noticed like different flavor profiles are hitting me mm-hmm. um, in in these in my elder years right <laughs> uh, but things like espresso and like I don't sweeten um, any like coffees or uh, I used to like sweeten lattes and things like mm-hmm. that, but I love espresso now and I love arugula and radicchio, and I love amaro, and so bitter is something I've really kind of grown, grown, it's grown on me, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, same here, especially as I've aged. I've always despised bitter stuff. Yeah. But now I can sometimes choke down a bite of grapefruit, even. Right. <laughs> oh,
3: you know what? I haven't tried grapefruit in a while, because I always said I didn't like it, because it was bitter.
0: I like fresh Maybe squeezed it's time. grapefruit juice with fresh squeezed orange juice, about one-to-one one ratio. Mm-hmm. That's okay. a really good jam. Um, but just eating the grapefruit is a completely different experience than drinking the juice, and it's oh, tough really? for me. Yeah. All
3: right, I'm going to have to try that. that. I can only think of my mom who, you know, 70s mom, that half a grapefruit on the kitchen table in the morning <laughs> yep. and the little, uh, it was that weird little sort of two-sided knife thing that would... Carve out the sections. Did a grapefruit
0: spoon? Well, it's not. It wasn't a spoon though. It was a knife. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about then. Maybe she saw it on TV. It was. It was a little knife with a very
3: short blade, and and both sides of the blade had a sort of odd serrated edge. Okay. But not I've like seen, a steak knife serrated edge.
0: Right. Right. Like well, like a micro serrated edge almost. Right.
3: Yeah, and then you would just sort of carve your way around it. Uh, and that's why both sides were done because you would, you know, loop around the, the slice or whatever.
0: So I've seen spoons with that same serrated edge that are grapefruit spoons. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I've not out seen too. the knife, though. I, know. I wonder what the grapefruit fork looks like.
3: <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, so, should we talk about a few of the, the bittering agents?
0: Mm-hmm. There's like a big three, but the list is really extensive.
3: Yeah. So, you, sure. got,
0: you have gentian, which may be the most popular of all of them. Uh, it's a root that grows in the alpine, or it's a plant that grows in alpine regions. Um, and its roots are prized for their bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows up all over the place. Um, everything from Kapari to some of the more, like, um, arcane, hardcore uh, um, Amari. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just in a lot of different stuff. And we should say it's not like you have to pick... Just one bittering agent, a lot of people do, but you can kind of mix it up for your own proprietary blend. There's no rules. Actually, Uh, there are rules, and we'll get into them later. (laughs) Well, that's true. Uh, Wormwood,
3: which we talked about in the Absinthe episode, uh, where we also mentioned the uh, Gypsum's Malort. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's so bitter. And there's other things going on in there. Like, that's even too much for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Wormwood is a classic bittering agent. Uh, and it is. I'm not sure if we mentioned this in the absinthe, but it is an herb, a small leafed herb. Yeah, we uh, did. that's kind of all over Europe.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you got cinchona. cinchona.
3: I think it's cinchona. Cinchona. Yeah, yeah I looked fine. it up. We, I think we said cinchona a lot in the gin and tonic episode, and we were wrong.
0: Okay, so cinchona, which is, I mean, how it's spelled, but it comes from it's a it's a tree. It's the bark of a tree in South America. It's where you get quinine, which they use to treat mar- malaria, and is what gives tonic water its very bitter taste. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of amari use cinchona in it, and um, you'll see on a label something that says China,
2: That's but it's Cina. actually,
0: I, I think actually, <laughs> I think it's pronounced Kina or Kina. Oh, really? Yeah, because the C H. I took Italian in college, and sure. the C H sound is a Could K, be a k. k- yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a C I would be the ch sound. Wait, you took Italian? Yeah, I took Italian. Why aren't you doing the voice? I never got it down. Yours is way better than mine. I could right. converse in it. I just couldn't offend them right. <laughs> he
3: sounded like a guy by Italian by way of Toledo <laughs>
0: pretty much <laughs> pretty much i and, oh this is I have a story about that. so All right. um, I took French for like three years in high school and never mm-hmm. never cracked like the first layer of my brain cells. It just would not sit, yeah. And then I got to college and I took Italian and it clicked. Like oh, I wow. was l- Italian in my last life and lived to uh-huh. 110 or something. Like it clicked <laughs> nice. like that. And I made it all the way to the final. And this has never happened to me before. I sat down to take the final and it was gone. All of oh, it gone. No. It was one of the most surprising things that's ever happened to me you just in blanked? School. Yeah. I couldn't believe it and I couldn't get it back. So I did terrible on the final. Wow. But I did well enough in class to, to still make a good grade, but it was more like... I don't like that my brain is capable of doing that. Right. right <laughs> yeah, just
3: crapping out when you yeah. most need it. <laughs> yeah. It was like,
0: sorry, pal. I'm, I'm sick today. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too.
3: Uh, I got accused of cheating on my German final in college. Oh, yeah? And was not able to prove my innocence. Oh, no. Did you use... I didn't um, cheat. Chat GPT? Uh, you know, I, I just now remember that memory, and I don't remember what the rub was or why... Frau whatever her name was, thought I cheated.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But it was a thing, and I don't even remember. You know how you just block stuff out? Right. I don't remember the result of it, to be honest. Well, I just know I didn't cheat. That's the only thing I know.
0: Maybe one of her students is listening, and we'll get in touch with her, and she can get in touch with you and say, like, I believe you now. Like, well, your, like, uh, like your Shakespeare teacher.
3: <laughs> yeah, she could advance on it. Right. Uh, but they didn't mess around. You know, English professors don't go over to the foreign language departments. That's just not something you do. I guess not. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some of these um, botanicals that can go in there, too, uh, because we'll talk a little bit more, you know, throughout about the digestive properties of this, uh, not only
0: digestive,
3: but uh, I guess, what is it, apertif as well?
0: Uh, yeah, you you know like not all amari are are digestives; they're aperitifs as well. Or you can use them both. It just depends on what yeah. side of a meal you drink it on, really. But they're sp- they're supposed to be the same thing. Like they're they're supposed to aid in digestion, either before the meal or after the meal.
3: Right. Uh, and so, there are all kinds of great botanicals you can put in there.
0: Uh, I mean, uh, we wait, weren't... Chuck? Do yes. you mind speaking of singing? Oh, oh, do you have a song for this? I mean, I was just going to read them <laughs> off in kind of a sing-song way. Please do. We may or may not leave this in. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Artichoke, orange peel, caraway and chamomile, coriander, cola nut, nutmeg and licorice, marjoram, cloves, cinnamon and fennel, quinoa in Italian, orange variety, rhubarb, <laughs> angelica, myrrh and cardamom, comma green, star anise and sarsaparilla. Not only the flavor of root beer, but a traditional treatment for syphilis, mint, <laughs> oris and yopon holly an evergreen shrub native to the American Southwest. Wow. I wish you could have done that as meagle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think the microphone would have exploded in ecstasy. Yeah, this stuff you should know would have
3: just like folded in on itself or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We'd wake up in some weird dimension. Right. Uh, you talked about the ABV. Uh, you know, generally it's known as um, like you, I mean, you said you can get one that packs a punch. that's like a full, you know, eighty proof or so. Mm-hmm. But amaro is generally known as a slightly lighter weight liqueur. Uh, and if you're looking for A not-quite-as-boozy drink, Um, you can have, like, an Amaro spritzer or something like that, and Mm -hmm. it's usually a little tamed down from, like, a a big liquor drink.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the point isn't to get hammered off of Amaro. No. I mean, you can if you (laughs) want to, but that's certainly not the point of it.
3: Well, I've learned recently that too much Amaro in one sitting is, um, like, there's a digestive quality, and then there's a digestive quality. You know what I'm saying?
0: Sure. I know what you mean. Yeah, so, that's like, not what you, what you want. That's not the <laughs> point you want to attain.
3: No, one or two is is great. Sure. Um, and that's it.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm sure some people are out there thinking, like, I know all this. You're talking about cocktail bitters, you morons. Why don't you just call them cocktail bitters? Well, that's because cocktail bitters are actually different. They're very, very, very similar, but they're different. And cocktail bitters are uh, usually made using much higher proof alcohol, much higher amounts of bittering agents. I've seen as much as 50% of the total content could be a bittering agent, so they're super bitter. And oftentimes, there's no additional sugar, so they wouldn't constitute a liqueur. What's more is you're only supposed to use a few drops, a dash or two of cocktail bitters, whereas with an Amaro you actually drink like an ounce or two. Like, it's a drink. It's not something you add to a drink. But they're so close that that people differentiate uh, cocktail bitters and Amari by, by calling Amari potable or drinkable bitters or just bitter liqueur. Wait, is there alcohol in bitters? Oh, yes. Like, you usually start with something like moonshine or white lightning. Really? Or like 151 proof rum, yeah. How do they get away with selling that in grocery stores? or I do they because you 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 drink so little of it i mean even even anybody who needed to drink more than anybody else would not turn up a bottle of bitters i i would put money on it never having happened
3: my granddad probably would have oh yeah eh, he was a he was one of those alcoholics
0: well anyone who's ever made a bet with me knows i'm really good <laughs> at making terrible bets well
3: he was one of those like 1940s alcoholics that like Hey, the mouthwash has booze in it and there's nothing else in the house that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, but I'll bet he still wouldn't have drank a bottle of bitters. I don't think you could.
3: <laughs> you know, they may not sell it in grocery stores here. No, they now do. that I think about it, they, they do.
0: do. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, cuz I know people like in Los Angeles you can you can buy, you know, their liquor uh there's liquor in grocery stores. Right.
0: There. There's liquor in their drug stores. It's so bizarre. It is very strange. It's super convenient, though. It is very convenient. But in grocery stores, you can buy Angostura usually, which is like, I mean, that's the the universal bitter.
3: Yeah, which is great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, vermouth. Um, now, this is where I'm going to lean on you a little bit. But vermouth and Amaro uh, do have a lot in common. And it is also an alcohol. It is also infused with uh, bitters and botanicals, mm-hmm. and it is also bittersweet and used as a bitter sweetening agent mm-hmm. in cocktails. Right. Uh, it is very Wormwood-forward, but in fact, I, I believe it's uh, the French spelling of the German word for Wormwood, which is uh, W-E-R-Muth, ver, Vermouth. Right. With a W.
0: Right. Does that make but sense? <laughs> it, no, it totally makes sense. And Vermouth, it, it bears a striking resemblance to Amaro because, like we said earlier— some, some Amari um, have wine as their base, not grappa or another spirit. So, I mean, the, the, the distinction between a vermouth and a, a vino Amaro, as it's called, is found in the fact that your vermouth is actually spiked with booze, typically brandy. Mm-hmm. So that right there differentiates it. But by spiking a wine with booze, you've created what's like a class called a fortified wine. It's yeah. fortified with booze. Meaning like Sherry will, is a mess fortified wine. Sherry, vermouth, a port. Um, yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of other, like, specific wines, like Bonal is, is really good fortified wine. But there's a subclass of fortified wine called an mm. aromatized wine. And right. vermouth is technically an aromatized wine because that is a fortified wine that has many of the same botanicals and bittering agents that you'll find in Amari, Right. The difference, again, is that in Amari, they don't spike it like a vino Amaro with an extra bit of booze. Um, It's that extra booze in vermouth that is the only thing that differentiates it from some kinds of Amaro.
3: Right, and vermouth always has to have the wine component, and Amaro doesn't necessarily have to, right? No, that's right. Uh, I'm going to recommend, and I hope people that are into this kind of thing have their uh, pencil and pad out to write down some of these recs, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, for you as well, my friend. I found a very nice sweet vermouth uh, that is made in Napa
0: Valley. Oh yeah, uh, called the Mathiasin, and it is really tasty. I will check that out. I'm a Carpano Antica um, person myself. Yeah,
3: I mean those are classics, but this is a nice small batch, sure. handmade in America kind of thing.
0: I will definitely try it. I will. Um, I will try it, especially if they mail it to us for free. We <laughs> we should try a break. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 20 minutes in. We got so excited. Wait, what are you drinking? I'm drinking lemon water. Oh, okay. Uh, spiked with moonshine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. We'll be right back, everyone.
3: You know, I was going to make the joke that I'm a uh, Method podcaster by <laughs> having this tomorrow, and then I re- remember that that was the very one of the very first things I said on the show.
0: You did, you did. Do you remember That's that? A, yeah, of course I remember. I think that was your first first episode, right? Very first episode: uh, orange juice and toothpaste. Right. You are, and you long have been a Method podcaster. I mean, you're talking about eating honey butter in the honey episode. Yeah. Eating honey butter in the toast episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're a method podcaster for sure.
3: Should we talk about the pretty interesting history of Amaro?
0: Yeah, because it tracks pretty closely the history of spirits and booze as you know, in general, essentially.
3: Yeah, and shout out uh, because Dave used this book for a lot of this research from uh, a mixologist from Italy named Matteo Zed called The Big Book of Amaro. No colon. That's it. It's awesome.
0: Congratulations, I love that. Zed, so refreshing. Who is not dead? He was like, "Oh, you, you can use a colon." He didn't even know. <laughs> I don't want these jackasses to use that stupid colon thing again. <laughs>
3: you sounded like Italian by way of uh, the Bronx.
0: I, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't oh, okay. do it very well. That's why you're it's the good. you're the Italian accent guy. <laughs> I thought you were about to say the Italian stallion. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you that too, especially if you sing around me more. Uh, all right, so if you want to talk about,
3: um, basically, distillation as a whole, you need to go back to uh, Arab alchemists in the 7th and 8th centuries, mm-hmm. which is who learned how to do this stuff. And pretty soon after they learn how to get ethanol going, um, they said, you know what, we should start infusing it and drinking it, because infusing things is, you know, probably as old as time, mm-hmm. uh, because not only does it impart flavor to something that you're drinking, but in many cases, and that's true with Amaro early on, it was a way to actually preserve the botanicals and the herbs. It makes them last longer.
0: Right. And they also figured out that they could, um, they could distill more than just um, fermented alcohol or alcohol from fermented liquid. They could distill the essential oils from all those things too yeah. and then mix that together. And they were like, these essential oils, they really pack a punch. They must be incredibly medicinal. And so the earliest cocktails, the earliest... Um, reason that people were putting together spirits and botanicals was for medicinal purposes. Yeah. And um, they think that the first cocktail was probably a julep or julab, which means rose water, uh, which ironically was probably an infusion of violets rather than yeah. roses with sugar and alcohol, which would make it uh, liqueur because there's alcohol that's sugared. And it sounds a lot like creme de violette, which is a great creme liqueur. Mm, I've never had that. Something, oh, Chuck, it's so good. Have you ever had an aviation?
3: I've had aviation gin, but not an aviation.
0: Okay, so it's gin, probably pretty good with aviation gin, and <laughs> creme de violette, and I think a little maraschino liqueur, and it is okay. beautiful, but it's this gorgeous violet, light, purpley color. Oh, interesting. Just, it's, it's really gorgeous. And I think there's another one called Blue Moon that uses it too, but those are like the big two. But it's a creme liqueur, not a creme liqueur, creme liqueur. And I found out from this research that they call it creme because these types of liqueurs have so much sugar in it that mm-hmm. it gives it almost a creamy texture. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But a cream liqueur would actually have some sort of cream to it. This is a creme right. liqueur. So creme de violette, creme de menthe. It just means uh-huh. there's so much sugar in it you, that you could stand a straw up in it, basically.
3: I never knew that.
0: I didn't either until, like, yesterday.
3: Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you... Did you
0: think there was a dairy agent to the those things? I didn't because it's clearly not there, uh-huh. you know, but I thought maybe they, like, creamed the violets or something, <laughs> like it was part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I That's kind of what I thought. Now my eyes are wide open. I said, just go milk that flour. <laughs> right. And bring me some creme from it.
3: Um, so these, uh, the things that um, these Arab alchemists were doing, eventually, of course, found uh, their way to Italy. Mm-hmm. And this is like 12th, 13th century. And if you want to get some booze made, there are a lot worse places to go than your local monastery. For sure. Uh, they've always been big on it, and the monks got a hold of it. And in the year 1300, a very um, sort of lucky-unlucky thing happened at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, which is Pope uh, Boniface the VIII uh, got kidney stones and was at least thought, cured in part by this alcoholic infusion of uh, bitter roots and herbs. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, like, really market your product in 1300, say this is the stuff that saved the Pope. Right,
0: exactly. Um, and a lot of those monks, too, were alchemists. So, And this is definitely where that, that comes together, alchemy and monasteries, uh, creating their own blend of aqua vitae or elixir of life. Mm-hmm. And again, they're taking this stuff to do all sorts of curative or therapeutic stuff. They were medicinal drinks. But it didn't take them very long to figure out. It gives you a pretty pretty good buzz, too. And um, by the 16th century, I believe, people were like, just, just give me that. I want to drink it. I don't have anything wrong with me. I'm yeah, not trying to want, do anything different. I don't want a prescription. <laughs> I just want to drink this stuff because it's pretty good.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then when uh, the sugar from the New World arrived in Europe, and the spice trade was so robust and all these spices were coming in uh, from the East and South America and from the South. All of a sudden, you had everything you needed. And I think in the 17th century, uh, Venice and Florence uh, had a really robust spice trade going on. And of course, they kind of spread that to the different monasteries that were making this booze. Right. And so all of a sudden, you had this uh, sugary component and more spices. And this is Kind of when, like Amaro, as we know it today, feels like it was really born,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, one of the reasons it was born in Italy was because it was such a crossroad. Like you were saying there's all these spices making their way to it, and they already mm-hmm. had this tradition that they'd gotten from their Arab friends of making these medicinal liqueurs. so they they were just making them better and better. And then by the nineteenth, eighteenth and nineteenth centuries, um, apothecaries and pharmacists were like, "Give me those. I'm gonna start selling these. And then eventually, It it transmuted from, which is appropriate because we're talking about alchemy, from a medicinal drink, again, uh, or some sort of elixir that was meant to to make you feel better, to just straight up booze. And at that point, it became like, it really took off in the 19th century.
3: Yeah, and that's, if you you look at, um, not all of them, but like, most of the classic uh, Amari that you'll find from Italy in the modern liquor stores today Mm -hmm. will have some sort of 19th century date on the bottle very right. proudly. Yeah. Uh, they've been around for a long time. Uh, Campari, like you said, is kind of the, um, like if you're putting together a bar for the first time and you look up like, what kinds of different things should I get right. that aren't just like, you know, the main liquors, Campari will probably be on that list. <laughs> uh, it's that um, it's that red, uh, in the clear bottle, that red liqueur that you see that when you don't know what it is, you're like, I've seen that thing at every bar I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. And I just never knew what it was. And Gaspare Campari, uh, who was from Nevada, Italy, started experimenting in the 1840s with the recipe. Didn't finalize it till close to 20 years later in 1860, mm-hmm. and opened up Cafe Campari in Milan. And that's where the drink, uh, the Americano, was born, mm-hmm. uh, which is very simple: it's Campari, Italian vermouth, and some soda water.
0: Right, and in this case, the americano is not af- not named after us Americans. Amer right. is the French word for bitter, mm-hmm. so this is a play on that. Americano is a bitter drink, um, and you mentioned how bright red Campari is. Um, it actually comes from carmine, the big ragu, which <laughs> is a natural <laughs> dye that they make from a certain kind of insect, the uh, cochineal insect. They crush it up, they dry it out, crush it up, and creates this red powder that's been used. As a dye for centuries.
3: Yeah, and they did that all the way until 2006, which is really surprising. Uh, now it's synthesized, but I believe, you know, there are some uh, s- sort of small batch of mari that are made mm-hmm. around the world that still use this method of crushing the bugs.
0: Definitely. There's one, um, so that whole thing, remember, Aperol, Campari, they're called uh, red bitters. That's their mm-hmm. classification. There's a whole bunch of red bitters out there. and One of them, Capoletti, um, has been using carmine the whole time and still does. Mm-hmm. And I read that it's actually a much better ingredient in a Negroni because um, it's less sweet than Campari. So it, it has like a more balanced finish. And I don't think I've ever read many more words that made me want to try a liqueur more than that.
3: Oh, because do you usually not like a Negroni?
0: I love a Negroni. That's the oh, thing. okay. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. So like a, an improved Negroni?
3: Right. I mean, <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> And Negroni Plus, I love a Negroni too. It's a great drink.
0: And the Negroni actually came from, uh, where did that come from? I don't know. It came from somebody's cafe. I want to say it came from uh, ca- Cafe Campari, yeah. But there was okay. a count uh, whose name was Negroni. And I can't, I can't remember his first name. I can't find him anywhere. But he, oh, I'm sorry. His name, it was at Cafe Campari, Camillo Negroni. Uh, in 1920, he was a customer there at Cafe Campari. He said, I like oh. this Americano. Yeah, Pretty yeah, Pretty yeah. good. Can you give me something different? And the bartender swapped out the soda water uh, with gin. Right. And the <laughs> yeah. first Negroni was made, and Count Camillo Negroni was canonized the very next day.
3: Oh, that's that's an interesting trade. Oh, I'll swap out the soda water for gin. <laughs> <laughs> right. This soda water is a waste of space. <laughs> Uh, there's Amaro Averna. Uh, it's a very popular Amaro. It's much sweeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from, uh, 1868 was when they first started, uh, bottling this stuff. And this was one that came straight from Sicilian monks, uh, to a guy named Salvatore Averna. Mm-hmm. And he, it was like sort of the thing he did for friends and family for a little while. And then his son said, Hey, Papa, we should sell this stuff.
0: And he said, go, go with God. If you want to, I'm <laughs> just going to be sitting over here in the shade.
3: What about Montenegro? That's your uh, jam, right?
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, it was originally called Elixir Vita, the elixir of life. Uh, it's made with 40 botanicals, which is a middling amount of botanicals, typically for a marrow. It's like right there in the middle, which is appropriate because a Montenegro is like a really good introduction to like real Amari. Mm-hmm. But it came from uh, Bologna, Italy, uh, back in 1885, created by a guy named Stanisalo Cobianchi. And he was so enthralled with uh, Princess Elena of Montenegro, who became Queen of Italy in 1900, that he renamed his Amari Amaro Montenegro.
3: I love that story, and that is, um, I saw a couple of great. There are uh, at least two really good YouTube videos from uh, from uh, Amaro enthusiasts, and they uh, one was, one was this guy. I think he was originally from Italy, mm-hmm. and then one was this uh, Scottish woman who, of course, loved that accent. And they're like 9, 10, 11 minutes each, and they do a really good job of sort of, you know, if you've never tried uh, Amari, then here are like 10 different kinds that range from uh, what the guy referred to as sort of like uh, Mm pastry-esque all the way to um, super medicinal tasting. Right. And the one they had in the middle is one I have on my shelf called the Lucano, Mm -hmm. but they both described Montenegro as... A really good gateway mm-hmm. amaro for yeah. someone who's never really tried it, uh, which makes me think. I still don't have a bottle. I'm going to get one soon. But oh yeah, that it's uh, that has an accessibility factor to it,
0: definitely. And it's really useful in cocktails too because yeah. it's it's very sweet. Um, as far as amari go, it's a pretty sweet amaro. Um, and like Montenegro, like many others, it's got a golden, a rich golden color. Some of them have caramel color. Some are brownish, mm-hmm. and a lot of them really kind of share in common. Uh, like they have a brown taste. Like you could taste it, and if 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 somebody who had already had it before, if you described it as brown, they would probably get what you were talking about. It's not just the yeah. color; the to taste too. But there's another kind of amaro that's been around. It might be the oldest surviving continuously made amaro recipe. Ooh, and it comes from France, uh, Chartreuse. Oh, of which course. is another thing you've seen on American bars for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge firm bar thing. Um, But Chartreuse vert in particular is green. Yeah. And it's been, it was first brewed in like the 1730s, but it came from a recipe in 1605. And again, it's monks in a monastery making these recipes. And still to this day, Chuck, there's only two, two monks at any given time who know the exact recipe. And they're the ones, again, still to this day, who order and blend the botanicals. And then they hand the blended or herbs and, and spices off to the distillers who then take it and use it. But only two of them know what's that's in That's amazing. There. And there's 132 botanicals in chartreuse.
3: That is really something.
0: And then here's the the fact of the podcast for me. The color chartreuse got its name from the liqueur chartreuse, <laughs> not the other way around. It's older than the color. Isn't that neat?
3: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So that I chartreuse that. blouse you're wearing, uh-huh. it's named after <laughs> chartreuse vert, the uh, Amaro. All right, let's take a
3: break. Uh, I've spilled some Amaro on my blouse, and I need to go (laughs) put the hairdryer on it, and we'll be right back.
1: Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
0: My best hopes, I guess,
3: identify the life that I want and, and work towards it.
1: i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of.
3: I get the impression that you don't feel like you've
1: done everything right as a father. Is that true? Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Okay, so we're back. And one of the things you mentioned very early on, and repeatedly, is that Amari is typically used as a digestive. You have a big old meal, eat a big steak. Eat uh, three, four dozen oysters. Uh-huh. Have a lobster the <laughs> oh, size of man. like a VW Beetle that you this just ate.
3: All sounds so good.
0: A bunch of tacos. You okay. might want to do a shot, but don't do a shot. <laughs> you could do a shot, but you don't really want to do a shot. You want to sip a mm-hmm. right? And then really enjoy the taste of it. Um, but you'll you'll be aiding in digestion. Uh, true or false, Chuck?
3: Yeah, I mean kind of true i, I don't know there's that there's been like lab studies but the reasoning behind it is pretty sound i think uh i don't think it's like a big reach and it's like oh it's good for you so it's fine to drink mm. um but it sounds like it probably does what other bitter things do to your body uh when the body you know gets a bitter taste in its mouth we have evolved to think that might be poison mm-hmm. because there are so many bad plants in the world that are bitter right and that's a, a sure sign like hey don't eat this thing Uh, And so the logic is, basically, you get a little Amaro, and your body says, hey, this is a low-level poison kind of coming into my body. So let me kick this digestion off and see if we can work that through our system as quickly as possible. And then you've got all these, like, herbs and botanicals and things that Mm -hmm. also uh, can, you know, aid in digestion Mm -hmm. and have natural anti-inflammatory properties. And, yeah, that's why it sort of has that medicinal taste to it is because— it is slightly medicinal. I don't think it's some uh, snake oil cure all or anything, but right. I believe it's a legit digestive.
0: Plus, also um, uh, the a lot of those herbs are like hepatoprotective, so it helps right. your liver while it's processing all of that alcohol. It's, I mean, if you're going to drink a booze, it's you could do a lot worse as right. far <laughs> as like your your systems are concerned. But on the other hand, there is a lot of criticism of of drinking um, some. Tomorrow after uh, a meal, especially a big meal, because uh-huh. alcohol actually slows digestion by as much as fifty percent. Right. So it's actually slowing down your digestion, making you feel fuller longer. Um, plus, it's extra calories that you have to now you have to now process. But on the other hand, the alcohol is a vasodilator, so it keeps your muscles from from tightening, which means that your stomach can expand a little more to make you feel a little more relieved if you're super full.
3: So, the net net is it does nothing.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know. It might. I think I get the impression that um, aperitifs do more to stimulate appetite oh. and get your juices going, literally, yeah. than a digestive. And that what I saw was that you're much better off just spritzing some um, actual bitters, like cocktail bitters, before a meal. And that that would be, that would probably be the best way to actually do it.
3: Yeah. Emily will spray bitters in her mouth and stuff. Yeah, uh, occasionally. And that's that's probably the way to do it. Yeah. Before uh, but, the meal. Yeah. But like I said, you're not even if you're drinking Amaro the right way, you're not drinking a ton of it. Right. Um, So like an Amaro after a meal probably isn't like the worst thing in the world for you.
0: No, but also it's not like if you're even if you're drinking it as a digestive, what you're really doing is just finishing this meal in a really like luxurious, yeah. like calm way. Yes. You know, Absolutely. that's that's really the point of it. Yeah,
3: so I promised my Amaro history, and uh, I will shorten the story to this, which is I hadn't had it very much at all until, uh, like in various drinks, like Negronis and things, but not on its own. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something I really kept in stock. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until about two-ish years ago, uh, I follow the actor Walton Goggins on uh, Instagram, uh, and he makes his own liquor. He makes uh, Mulholland whiskey and gin, uh, which are both great. Really love the whiskey. And I'm a huge fan of his. And he made a, a cocktail of just um, half bourbon and half Amaro de Angostura. Uh, Angostura makes their own, like, full-size Amaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, same company makes the bitters. And a little, like, orange peel, I think. Uh, express those oils in there and rub it around the rim and then just drop it in. And so I bought a bottle of it, and I tried it, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then started collecting another Amaro here or there. And then this year at Christmas... Uh, We had an open house on Christmas Day this year for the first time, Mm -hmm. which, have you ever had an open house type of
0: party? My parents have. I never have.
3: I think it was an Ohio thing, because I got this from Emily's parents. They used to do it, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you don't know what it is, it's basically when you host a party that's not like, show up at six and leave at midnight. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, hey, the house will be open from noon to six, drop by for a drink, uh, stay if you want, but you can just breeze through as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that this year, and we had so much fun. Yeah. And my friend Thomas, who is uh, the father of one of Ruby's friends and has become a friend of mine, brought as a very generous gift three different Amaros for me. Wow. And he's the kind of guy that just really loves to – he's very generous and loves to share knowledge and turn people on things. So he brought me uh, Foro, F-O-R-O, mm-hmm. uh, which is – Sort of have, it's very much sweeter, has like a, a coffee taste to it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely coffee Amari.
3: Yeah, that's one of them. He brought me Maletti, which I'm having now. Okay, uh, which is sort of your standard dark bitter. Okay, and then uh, the one I like the most is the Lucano. Uh, it looks sort of like the St. Pauli girl in the bottle. You've probably seen it before.
0: Yeah, I've seen like old vintage posters of Lucano stuff, I've never yeah. had it. Yeah,
3: and Lucano's uh, super bitter. Um I don't think I've never had any of the Fernets that's next on my list as you're,
0: I You are you're not going to like them.
3: Really? Cuz I'm into the bitter. Is it th- it's th- not, so bitter it's, it's not, not good
0: just bitter? It's a whole it's a whole other class of thing. It's not pleasant. I don't understand people who like Fernet.
3: Is it like the Merlo- uh, Malort thing?
0: A little bit but menthol-y.
3: Oh, interesting.
0: It I mean it is interesting uh, and people do like it, but I I mean I'll be surprised if you're a Fernet guy. Okay. And, you know, let me know for sure, but I'll be surprised.
3: I think, is it Fernet Bronca is the most popular?
0: Yeah, let's talk about this. So, Fernet, um, is that the end of your story? Because it was a good story. And then we wanted to story. go out and buy some Amari.
3: Yeah, big thanks to Thomas. And also to be,
0: make friends with Thomas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, Fernet is, it's um, a class called a, a Bronca. Or no, it's called a Fernet. Yeah. Bronca is the brand of Fernet that's most popular, Fernet Bronca. That's right. And it is menthol-flavored, super bitter. It's a really, really weird drink. Mm -hmm. But it is lifeblood in Argentina. Yeah, right? Yeah. In fact, one of the most popular cocktails in Argentina Argentina is the Fernando or Fernandito, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, a one to three, so two ounces of Fernet with uh, six ounces of Coke. And that's it. Wow. And it's a great hangover cure, and people are nuts for it, and um, they're so crazy for it. Argentina consumes 75% of Fernet Branca made worldwide. Wow. How much? 75%. Three-quarters of the Fernet Branca made in the entire world is drunk in Argentina. Wow. Because they love that drink so much.
3: All right. If I ever go to Argentina, I'll try it out.
0: I think I want to try that. I mean, it sounds like something way more than just the Fernet. Like, they combine yeah. together to make something really special. So I would try that. But if I never have, like, a sip of Fernet Bronca again, I won't be. It'll, it'll be too soon. Well, there is a cola-esque element
3: to some Amaro's. Uh, so I, I, could I, can't see wait, how...
0: I can't wait till we start getting all the emails there. Like <laughs> you guys said you you never say Amaro's. You used to say Amari, and then you proceeded to say Amaro's like 10 times. <laughs> Did I just say Amaro's? Yeah, we both have.
3: Oh, boy. No, that's right. Uh What about the artichoke one? Uh, I, I saw it pronounced chin- uh, Chinar. Chinar. Or chinar. Mm-hmm. That is the one that you've probably noticed the bottle because it has an artichoke on the front of it. <laughs> right. And you might be thinking, well, that's a weird... Uh, thing to have on the front of a liquor bottle. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's made from. It's uh, from Venice, created in the 1950s. So it's a, I guess as far as Amari go, it's a newer Amari mm-hmm. or Amaro. See, there I go. And that is, uh, artichoke is a Mediterranean thistle. And uh, I have not tried this, but I'm eager to.
0: It's fine. It doesn't taste like artichoke at all, but I find the the label off-putting.
3: Oh, you don't like that uh, artichoke looking at you?
0: No, I really don't. <laughs> Again, it doesn't taste anything like artichoke, but, you know, to make artichoke the mascot of your Amaro, clearly they're doing fine because Chinar is another really popular one in the U.S., but I just, I'm not crazy for it because of that stupid artichoke on the label.
3: (laughs) I think it looks cool. I think it looks like a 70s something or other.
0: Definitely, but it's still an artichoke and you're drinking an artichoke (laughs) is what it seems like.
3: Uh, On the lighter side, we did mention Montenegro, but there's another one I wanted to shout out that's very um, popular called uh, Nonino. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Uh, You'll see it in a lot of shelves. And if you've ever had a paper plane, you've probably had Nonino in it.
0: Yeah, a paper plane is uh, Nonino, Aperol, bourbon, and lemon juice, I think, equal parts.
3: Oh, Aperol as well, interesting.
0: Yeah, or red bitter, but yeah, Aperol.
3: Okay, they double up on it.
0: They definitely do. But, But, I mean, that just goes to show how different Amaro... Or Amari yeah. is because you can put two Amari in a drink and it's not like just two of the same thing, you know?
3: How about this? I love the description of the uh, uh, Elisir Nova Salis. Mm-hmm. It's the Alpine Amaro, I think, very piney.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, Dave dug up this great quote from a, a writer named Chuck Taggart, a cocktail writer, that said, A sip of Elisir Nova Salis uh, tastes like you're getting kicked in the crotch by a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love descriptors like that that are weird but totally nail it.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be so bitter. It's just crazy, which is all the more surprising that it's a vino Amaro, so its base is is wine. But like you said, it's alpine. And in the alpine class of Amaro, um, it it definitely has like a piney tree kind of thing going on, woodsy. Um, and my favorite is one called Zerben Stone Pine Liqueur. Oh, okay. And if you if you look at descriptions, so go on to if this is like floating your boat, it all go into House Alpens, uh, a l p e n z dot com, and just start following links, and you'll end up in the coolest rabbit hole ever. But they are one of the um, suppliers of Zerbens, maybe the only one. And in other descriptions of amari. They'll say, like, enjoy it on its own or with just a little citrus twist or whatever. Um, and then they'll go into all the other things you can use that Amaro for. With zerbens, they say, basically, like, you should mix this with other stuff. You oh, don't really? really want to drink it on its own. Because it's so piney. They literally make it from pine cones. That's how piney it is. But oh, it's wow. really good. It's really weird. It's its own huh. thing. It's like, it's just its own thing. I strongly recommend just trying it at least once. Interesting. All right.
3: Yeah. I got nothing else. Were there any other Amaris we need to go over?
0: <laughs> that time was purposeful, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I, oh, I want, we should give a shout-out to American Amari that's starting to kind of make a thing. I know Leopold's has one, and yeah. um, I think St. George has one. There's a bunch of other ones, too.
3: Yeah, I mean, but I love it. There's all kinds of creative things happening in the United States, with uh, in terms of distilling things, so uh, of course they're on board with Amaro.
0: So, what's your next bottle?
3: Well, I guess I got to get a bottle of Montenegro.
0: Okay, yeah, buy that. But then also, what? What's your other yeah. next bottle? Like you, you're gonna want not just that one because you'll taste it and be like, oh, this is good. I've already kind of passed this point.
3: I, well, I think the piney one you were just talking about,
0: the Zurbins? Yeah. Okay. And then what you think? You might think actually want another one too. You might, because you might be frustrated with those two if those are your two next ones. Well, you tell me
3: that. I feel like you're leading me to a choice. I, I'm not. I'm honestly not. Oh, well, those are the two. And then I, I should try it for Nat.
0: Okay. <laughs> you're about to have like a losing streak of Amaro.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no. That will negate my winning streak. You'll come out the other end, though. All right. Uh, okay. Well, since Chuck said all right, everybody, that means it's time for Listener Ma'am.
3: I'm going to call this uh, Honey PSA, mm-hmm. which was uh, pretty interesting. This is from uh, Taylor Haddon. It said, uh, hey, guys, uh, toward the end of the episode on honey, you listed off all the amazing properties. Uh, I don't know if this came up in your research, but for people with fructose Intolerance, like my husband. Mm-hmm. It also has the major property of being anti-not-in-the-bathroom. Oh, wow. Or I guess that would be pro-not-in-the-bathroom, mm-hmm. now that I think about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so few people know that you can be intolerant to fructose anyway, just like so many of us are intolerant to lactose, and honey is one of the worst substances that he can eat, along with agave syrup. Wow. Uh, it's even worse than high-fructose corn syrup. Wow. And fruits that are high in fructose, like apples and tomatoes. Uh, It took him such a long time to figure out what was causing his stomach troubles because so few people people know that they can be affected like this. Uh, And fun fact, because fructose pairs with dextrose to make glucose, a person who is fructose intolerant can take dextrose to negate some of the consequences, just like a person with lactose intolerance can take lactate. Wow. And get this. It gets even better. This Mm -hmm. is a great email. Uh, conveniently, Smarties candy is 100% dextrose, so my husband has stashes of them everywhere. Wow. And it's always a funny moment when we're eating pizza with new people and they wonder why he's snacking on Smarties <laughs> as an appetizer. Crazy. That is great. Uh, thanks for the show. It's seriously wonderful. You bring joy and excitement to so many topics. And your well-researched uh, style gives me inspiration when teaching my ninth grade English students how to find sources. And that is uh, teacher... Taylor Haddon, and uh, hello to your ninth grade English class. Yeah, hello,
0: Ms. Haddon's ninth grade class, right? Yeah, and your hubs. Yeah, Uh, and Chuck, we should also say, a few people wrote in and were like, guys, you probably should have also mentioned that you shouldn't feed honey to a baby under one year of age. Yeah. Uh, Which I think we talked about in some other episode before, but yes, it bears repeating because their little immune systems are so fragile and botulin can be um, found in honey, but they can suffer botulism, which you do not want a baby to have.
3: Yeah. I think we added that. It was in the episode, hey, don't feed that baby that thing.
0: Right. That was a great, (laughs) great episode. (laughs) We're like, and what about this thing? Oh yeah, don't feed a baby that. Don't do it. Uh, Well, thanks a lot, Taylor. And uh, if you want to be like Taylor, you can get in touch with us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.
2: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
2: Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene, was good?
1: But be careful